0: We find ourselves tonight in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. Follow along as I read, and then we'll pray. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac, that is, It is not the children of by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but also Rebecca received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For though her sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to the election, might stand. Not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for this opportunity to open your word And we ask that you would guide and direct us in our understanding here, knowing that uh, there's a lot of different views about this whole thing, and it doesn't seem to be as difficult as we like to make things out to be. So open our hearts and our eyes, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Sorry about that. Uh, For whatever reason, my allergies are kicking up, and I didn't mow anything today. I, I don't know what's going on there. All right, you'll notice we are looking at Israel's unbelief with God's plan is consistent with his promises. Now, over these next three chapters, we're going to be seeing how everything that happened with Israel was part of God's plan. And ultimately, Israel is going to be coming back into uh, everything that God has promised to them. Uh, There are those who believe that the church has replaced Israel, and in order to do that, you have to allegorize so much Scripture. Uh, you have to—they they become spiritual promises instead of physical promises. The problem with that is when you have the Old Testament saying a physical thing, and you have the New Testament saying the same physical thing, why would you—and how do you spiritualize lions laying down with lambs? You know, i uh, Joe Biden is going to like the Republican Party. No, I don't think that's uh, what we're talking about there, okay? So um, as we're looking at this, we are talking about Israel, the nation, uh, right now, spiritually dead. They've become a nation again, what, um, 1948, okay? Um, you can say if you go back to Ezekiel where you've got the valley of dry bones, the dry bones have been connected. There's muscle and sinew on the, on the bones. There's probably skin on that, but there's still no life in them yet. That's going to come during the tribulation, and then ultimately, and now it doesn't mean it's going to come to all. We'll see that here in a little bit. But ultimately, they're going to look on him whom they've pierced, and they're going to mourn because he's coming back. Uh, but they will be, uh, all of Israel will be saved. So let's take a look here. First of all, notice the state of Israel. The reestablishment of Israel in part of the ancient land that God promised Abraham, and uh, that happened in 1948. Now, uh, what a lot of people don't get is God is the one that made the promise that the land was going to belong to Abraham and his descendants. His descendants that had come through Isaac, and ultimately through Jacob. God's the one that promised that land to them. Um, What was it uh, we heard this morning? uh, We were listening to a message out in Kansas City, but uh, it was back in 1913 or 1917, around World War I time, where England finally defeated the Ottoman Empire, and they took over. Uh, the the land that had been called Palestine at that time. Uh, there is no such thing as Palestine. That's a wordplay on Philistines, okay? Philistines are long gone. Those that they call Palestinians today, they're actually Lebanese, Egyptians, Jordanians, Syrians, Arabs, all of those people that during the six- or seven-day war, which how many of days it was, uh, they, they got stuck in the country. And when they wanted to go back home, their country said, no, no, you guys stay there and be a problem. H- have they been a problem? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But there's no such thing as a... Palestinian. There is the land of Israel, and there's a lot of people that live around them that don't like them. Uh, Notice the Six-Day War, there we go, gained more of the land promised, including full control of Jerusalem in 1967. The modern state of Israel is far from what God has promised. It is not a theocracy or a nation led by God-serving leaders. Now, they may have had some uh, gentlemen that had at least a certain uh, fear of the Lord. But for the most part, Israel is secular. Notice some Israelis are openly atheistic. Now, in listening to... Uh, oh, we've been listening to the Old Testament for a couple months now. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, First uh, Kings uh, right now. Um, it, it is amazing to see that Israel as a nation has never really gotten on board with God's plan. Uh, A few along the way, but even they were mess-ups. I mean, think about it. King David, a man after God's own heart. We have the Davidic covenant, which we might talk about a little bit later. Uh, This is where God is promising him that he will have a son that's going to sit on the throne and rule over Israel forever. Okay? Uh, But David was a mess-up. And though he was a mess-up, the nation as a whole wasn't necessarily fully pro-God. When Solomon comes along, he got a lot of things right in his early years. Okay, that's all we need to say about that, right? 700 wives, 300 concubines, kind of like... And and then falling away to the point where he's actually worshiping all these other gods. Um, His son, uh, Rehoboam talk about messing things up, that people come and say, hey, you know, we just went through seven years of building the tabernacle, uh, I mean the temple, and 13 years of building the palace, can we lighten up a little bit? And he listens to the older guys, and the older guys go, you know, true story, they have been overloaded, they had 87,000 IRS agents and the whole bit, and uh, maybe it's time to lighten up. And his young buddies go, no, man, this is time when you really want to nail them. So uh, again, a pretty messed up nation as a whole, though there may have been some that did it right along the way. Letter C. Some like their biblical heritage and use it to justify their claim on the land. Some believe that the land is a is the figurative Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament. Many are still awaiting the Messiah's first coming. As a king and deliverer. Interesting, uh, this morning we heard that there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ's first coming. There are 2,400 about his second coming. And they're still waiting for his first coming in the second sense. They're waiting for a king, a deliverer, someone that's going to get them out of trouble with all the bad guys around them. Instead of understanding, the Messiah came and you rejected him. And, of course, that's why they've gone through what they've gone through over the last 2,000 years. Notice uh, Romans 9, 6-33 through 33 gives four reasons why the gospel is not blasphemous heresy and why the Jews, as individuals and as a nation, rejection of it doesn't impugn God's character or negate his promises in the Old Testament to Israel about their future. Okay? Just because they don't believe doesn't mean that somehow God messed up. Okay, Uh, Number one, the unbelief of Israel is consistent with God's promises. That's today. Uh, The unbelief of Israel is consistent with God's person, verses 14 through 24. The unbelief of Israel is consistent with God's prophetic revelation, 25 through 29. And the unbelief of Israel is consistent with God's prerequisite of salvation by faith, in verses 30 through 33. Let us see. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. That's what uh, verse 6 says. Well, the word there for no effect means failed or fall- fallen. Notice God's promises. God's promise in Jeremiah 32:42. For thus says the Lord, Just as I I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them the good that I have promised them. Now, Jeremiah is speaking about the time Nebuchadnezzar is coming over and doing some major damage. Uh, First time, 605 B.C. Uh, Because of their rebellion, he comes back again in 592 and finally comes back in 586 and destroys the place. Uh, Leaves a few people there, but ultimately uh, they uh, rebel, go down into Egypt, and end up dying there. Uh, Jeremiah being dragged there with them. But uh, Jeremiah is saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, and when he comes, the best thing you can do is surrender. Because God is judging you because of your wickedness over the last 400 years. And so the best thing you do is surrender. If you don't, you're either going to buy, uh, die by the sword or by famine. Take your choice. Now, Israel as a whole was hard-hearted and they died by the sword or by famine. He did take a remnant of Jews back to uh uh, Babylon, which, of course, Daniel and his three buddies were part of. So uh, God does plan on bringing that good in the end. Mm. Notice in Isaiah 55, 11, his word will not return void. Now, Isaiah is writing 750 to 720 B.C., and he's really... Though he, though he talks to Judah, he's really talking to the northern ten tribes. They Remember, they both had 19 to 21 kings. Uh, Israel had some good kings, uh, or Judah, I should say. Uh, the northern ten tribes, uh, Israel, they didn't have one good king. And they got hauled off into captivity by um, Assyria in 722. But here's what he says, "'So shall my word uh, be that goes forth from my mouth.'" It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word doesn't return void. Now, that should give you a measure of comfort if you're ever talking to someone about the Lord. You use God's word. You do not have to win the argument. You use God's word. And you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do with it. It may harden that heart. Uh huh. God said, I harden whom I will harden. It may soften that heart and open them up to whatever revelation he may give them at a later time through another person witnessing. Uh, so God's word doesn't return void. And then of course, Jeremiah again. Here we are, we're getting hauled off into captivity, and what does God say? He has a new covenant for Israel. For thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea, and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever." Thus says the Lord, if the heaven uh, above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Now, Think about that. He has just said, I'm going to have a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, and I am going to remove their stony hearts, give them a heart of flesh, put my spirit within them, write my words, my laws upon their heart, and I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. This is what God says He's going to do. And the only way this can be nullified is if you can count all the stars of heaven. Now, remember last Sunday? Larry gave us a little demonstration of what that's like. Okay. Can you count the stars of heaven? Most of what we see up there are galaxies with trillions, billions of stars in those galaxies. And there are billions of galaxies. And Okay, let's stop counting. Okay. Okay, there's another way this thing could be nullified with Israel. Now, remember... This is with Israel, not with the church. We participate in the new covenant because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That covenant was not made with us. It was made with Israel. If they had just said Israel, but they said the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which definitely means you can't spiritualize it and say there are two aspects of the church. No, this is Israel, the nation. He says, if you can measure the foundations of the the earth, you know, I can go home, I can get out the 100-foot tape measure, and I can have my wife hold one end, and we can stretch that out, and we can look, okay, 40 feet, and go to the other side and measure it across 26 feet. So let's add all that up, and we can have the measurement of the foundation. Easy. And where's the foundation of the earth? You know, how far have we drilled in the earth's crust? Not very. I think there are a couple places where we might have gotten a, a few miles down, and it gets really, really hot and hard to work in. And so it's kind of like, okay, that's enough. You've got so many miles of crust. Then you have the mantle. Then you have the core, which is supposedly molten lava. And oh, Where's the foundation? Uh I think it's over there. That's all people can do. So, will God nullify this new covenant with the nation of Israel? And the answer is no, absolutely not. So, his word has not failed. It just hasn't been fully worked out yet. Number two, God's word not failing concerning Israel. Notice letter A, to whom pertain the adoption of, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. We went over these last week. They're found in verse 4. In Romans 3, 3, it says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? No, God is faithful regardless of how we respond to what He says. I am one of nine children. It's a yours, mine, and ours type situation. I have one real sister. I've got got to subtract them there. <laughs> I've got three half-sisters, I've got a half-brother, I've got two stepsisters, and i got a stepbrother. Why did I get saved and none of the rest? Is the message just that difficult to understand and I'm so intelligent? Or is it only for the good-looking children? No. No, there's no good-looking children in my family. Uh, We're all pretty much the same. Uh, Whole point being is just because some didn't believe doesn't take away from God's faithfulness. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. Letter C, fulfillment of curses and blessings. The curse is fulfilled. Uh, look, the Old Testament law was given and you remember they stood half of the people up on this mountain and the other half on this mountain and they said, if you follow the law, you're going to get to stay in the land. I'm going to bless your crops. I'm going to bless your uh, your marriages and you're going to have kids and boy, just everything's going to be fantastic. And everybody goes, amen. And, but if you don't, I'm going to stop the rain. Uh, you're crops are not going to come through like you should. You're going to suffer from all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, if you keep it up, I'm kicking you out of the land. There's the blessings and the cursings. You have the choice. Follow the law or no. Well, the curses are fulfilled. 722 B.C., The northern ten tribes are exiled due to idolatry. Deuteronomy 27.15 says, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. They did, and so many years later, They go off into captivity. Notice 605, 592, 586 B.C. The southern tribes are exiled due to idolatry. And and what amazes me about this is when Jeremiah is speaking, he goes, your sister Israel was wicked. She was involved in, uh, you know, all this spiritual adultery and idolatry. And Judah, you've taken it up three notches. You're even worse. And uh, so, uh, let me see, Deuteronomy 27, 15. Ooh, I got the wrong one there. Um, let me see, am I going to go to that one? Nope. Uh, same verses I already read to you. And then, of course, in uh, 70 A.D., Uh, Rome partially and and, uh, then in 132 entirely obliterated Israel as a nation. In 70 AD you have um, the siege of Jerusalem and ultimately they tear down the temple and everything. The Jews are allowed to remain there, but because of their rebellion and they're continually going back uh, against Rome, ultimately in around 130 B.C., Uh, Or A.D. Rome said, that's it. All the Jews out of the land. This isn't yours anymore. End. There is no more nation of Israel until 1948, which is just a fulfillment of what God said would happen. So we have the blessings promised also. The curses were fulfilled. Now we have the blessings promised. First of all, we have the reestablishment of the nation, 1948, a partial fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30, verses 3 and 4, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. And have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest part under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there uh, he will bring you. Now, uh, it's interesting because 1948, they're given the nation, okay, nation status, and since 1948, uh, a lot of Jews have moved back to Israel. But I remember when I first got saved, there were probably more Jews living in New York City than there were in Israel. Today, that's not the case. Okay, Who'd want to live in New York City anyway, right? Uh, (laughs) I have lived there, I can tell you. (laughs) Um, So uh, it is happening. Little by little, God is bringing them back. And then, of course, once again, the New Covenant... We, uh, we read the part that if these things can happen, then it'll be nullified. But notice what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Again, just understanding that, it's obvious that they haven't gotten there yet. Because most of Israel, secular humanist or atheist, there are some very, very religious Orthodox Jewish people, but are they believing in God or are they trying to establish their own righteousness, Romans chapter 10, by following the law, which they can't follow because they don't have a temple, they don't have a sacrificial system, they don't have. I don't think they know who the priests might be, though some of their names, if you understand Hebrew, some of their names would seem to indicate, "Ah, I got a feeling that might be one of them, but we don't know. They don't know. Why? Because when all of the records were destroyed in 70 A.D., unless they've been passing it down verbally, and how good does that work all the time? But God knows... And he knows where, where the ten lost tribes are, too. They're not lost for God. We may not know which one's Judah, which one is uh, Naphtali or anything like that, but God does. Okay? So um, he obviously has uh, promised that this is going to happen. In case you need a little bit more, Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20. "'Then I will give them one heart, "'and I will put a new spirit within them "'and take the stony heart of flesh "'and give them a heart of flesh.'" that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Look, if if I am correct, and oh, by the way, I am. <laughs> if we're participating in the new covenant, and we are, Jesus said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." We we do this every time we do communion, right? In the um, Book of Hebrews, he actually it actually says that he is the uh, high priest of a new covenant. Okay, so with that in mind, when you read what the new covenant describes happens to a person at the moment of salvation, can I tell you, when we go to 1 John chapter 3 and it says, if anyone is born of God, he does not commit sin. Sin is not a way of life for a believer. Someone who is continuing in the sin that they've been in in the past, and there's no chastisement, there's no guilt, there's no shame, I'm sorry, they're not saved. Why? Why? Notice what it says. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. You can't, as a believer, continue to live in sin. Now, I'm not saying you can't struggle with it. Okay? I come out of a pretty heathenistic background, and I can tell you, I struggled with a lot of those old habits for a long time. I went to Bible college... Four months after I was saved, I had all kinds of Bible knowledge. Didn't mean I knew how to apply it, and it took a period of time for that to come to pass. Well, what I am saying is, you can't live there. Uh, when we see people that uh, they they may be homosexual or or or, and they say they're a Christian, and there's no, I want to change. I'll leave it to God for the time being, but looking in from the outside, it sure doesn't look right. Okay? So just saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number three, to whom are the promises? For they are not all Israel who are Israel. I, I love this phrase because people want to sit there and say, see, it's not all about Israel. We're, uh, we're uh, believers, and therefore, you know, it's not all Israel. Kind of like, that's not what he's saying. In the context, we are talking about the nation of Israel. Not everyone who is what we would say Jewish is going to be part of the believing remnant that God is ultimately going to save. That's the point that he's making in the context. Notice, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. Physical lineage is not sufficient. Even Jesus in his time in John 8, 39 said, And he answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Again, Abraham believed God. God changed him on the inside. His life demonstrated that. took some time, but how is he justified by works? In James chapter 2, something that happened close to 40 years after he believed. So he's justified before God when he believes, Genesis 15. He's justified before men as he does what God wants him to do uh, in James chapter 2. When was he saved? Genesis 15. Took some time to work it out in his life. but uh, So uh, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Matthew 3, 9 and do you uh, and do not think to say to yourselves, "We have Abraham as our Father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up to uh, children to Abraham from these stones." Now he was actually talking about literal stones at that moment, but look around, how many of us here are Jewish? I know i 've got a partial Jew back there, but uh, the reality is is maybe we 're the Stones, the hard-headed, the hard-hearted, the Gentiles that uh, he uh, may have been referring to, and even if he was just referring to physical stones, if he can do it from stones, he can do it from us. Okay, so physical lineage is not sufficient. Number two, that is those who are the children of the flesh; these are not the children of God. In verse eight a, think about it with me for just a minute. Ishmael was Abraham's first son. Genesis uh, 17, 18 and 19 says, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then 21.12, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. So talking about Hagar. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. So uh, Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son, but he is not the one that's in the promise. Also in Genesis 25, this is something a lot of people don't remember, I'm not going to say they don't know, but I'm going to say they don't remember. After Sarah died, Abraham again took a wife, Genesis 25, 1 and 2, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Now, there may have been more children. Why do I say that? Because... Who are the important ones? The sons, okay? Now, it may have only been sons, but there may have been more. Uh, A couple things we see there. First of all, he's got eight kids now, at least. And in this particular case, as these kids grow up, he gives them all gifts and says, hey, go over there and play. Go over to the east. This land, it's for Isaac, okay? Uh, Which I'm sure... uh, might be one of the reasons why some of these people still have a problem with Israel. Uh, Notice letter B, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Notice, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed in verse 8b. Isaac in verse 9, uh, notice that we have a bunch of verses there from Genesis. Genesis uh, 17, 16a, it says, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her her. Speaking of Sarah. Uh, Verses 18 and 19 we already read. uh, Chapter 18 verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And of course, everybody remembers what she did? She laughed. And it's interesting. God says, and you're going to call him Isaac, which in the Hebrew means laughter. Just I think it's interesting. Uh, number uh, Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll be honest with you. If you look at what a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians believe about the preservation of God's Word, we have none of the autographs. We have thousands of manuscripts. And somehow it's written by men. God had really nothing to do with it. There are errors and contradictions No, there aren't. Zero. I mean, we have more manuscripts than all of the writings that everybody goes, ooh, Homer, you know, that kind of, Ulysses, all those kinds of things. We have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts. They have a dozen. The closest one that they have to the original writing is like 1,100, 500 years. The closest ones that we have to the New Testament are somewhere between 35 and 50 years, copies of the originals. The uh, whole point being is we have good evidence that we have the Word of God, and yet some Christians believe that somehow the Bible is messed up. Um, how about, uh, well, our, our last two years? Fear. Fear among believers about a disease that we don't know anything about. Yes, we do. We know that there's a God that he's got our days numbered. We're not leaving a day before. We're not staying a day after. And yet fear was a big deal. Now, again, if you got comorbidities, I totally understand. If you want to stay home, you want to wear that mask, you want to get that vaccine, whatever melts your butter. That's not the issue. The issue is, is, are you walking by faith or are you walking by fear? Okay? So, is anything too difficult for God? And the answer is, no. Uh, let me read the rest of the verse. Is anything too hard for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. In other words, within the next nine months. And Sarah shall have a son. So in Isaac, your seed shall be called, uh, notice just for clarification, Genesis 17, 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Notice God is not leaving it open to discussion. It's not Ishmael. It's not uh, any of the sons of Keturah. It is Isaac, okay? And then, of course, uh there's a quote from Genesis 21:12. But God said to Abraham, "Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad uh, of, of or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called." Um, had a job that I was uh, doing on the side uh, over in Omaha. And I'd go over there with my son and with one of his co-workers. And one of his coworkers is African-American. Not a problem for me. Uh, I've got a sister that's half African-American, okay? It's just, when you look at the Bible, that's not even an issue, okay? But he believes that Africans are the real Jews. Uh, they were hauled off in chains, uh, in ships to, uh, uh, to their enemies' countries. And I told him, yeah, that happened to the Jewish people like 722 B.C. And once a methodology works, there's no reason to change it just because you change their skin color. Uh, My my point to him was just because man and his wickedness does these things doesn't mean you're Jewish, especially when the African nations come from Ham and Israel comes from the line of Shem. So Jesus, what color was he? Well, he was darker than me. And he was lighter than Jay. Okay? Uh, the reality is, is, it doesn't really matter, but he was Jewish. Okay? That, that's what mattered. And I couldn't get that through him, but it is in Isaac uh, your seed shall be called. So, of course, that moves us down to Jacob or Israel in verse 10. Notice uh, there's a prayer for Rebekah because of her barrenness in Genesis 25:21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Oh, boy. Uh, do we want to talk about childbearing? And sl- no, not tonight. Uh, another time, though, because you know, God's the one that opens and closes the womb. And so here, this woman, she knows, you know, what you got to do. You you get married, and you should have kids. And it doesn't seem to be working. Well, so she gets a little upset. Isaac uh, says, "Hey, am I God?" So he goes and he talks to God, and of course. Uh, that fixes things. Notice the chosen for the purpose of God before, ver, uh, uh, before birth, verse 11 in Romans 9 there, but also Genesis twenty five twenty two. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but that says a lot. She went to inquire of the Lord. Why does that say anything? What's her family line? Uh, Rebecca's. They're probably a bunch of idolaters up there in the Mesopotamia area, okay? So she comes down with uh, uh, Abraham's servant, and she marries uh, 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 Jacob there. Or, yeah, am I right? Yeah, Jacob. And, um, wait a minute. I'm, I'm confusing my stories here. Sorry about that. It is not Rebecca. It is, uh, uh, it's not Jacob. It's Isaac uh, that uh, marries Rebecca, and he's the one that prays for her. So sorry about that. That's all in the wrong section. Uh, chosen for God's purpose, Jacob and Esau were the twins that were uh, fighting within her womb. But notice, she's the one that approached the Lord. That's the, that's the point I was trying to make. Uh, she's the one that went and sought. Why is that important? Because everybody talks about the patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. Look, she apparently had a, some kind of relationship with God also because she goes and inquires and God gives her an answer. Now, what do you think she did when she went home? I'm not going to tell my husband. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I've been married for 37 years. It doesn't work that way. I'm sure she told her husband, which makes what he does later on that much worse, okay? Because he knew and he liked the other kid better, that kind of thing. But then notice uh, God's explanation. There are two nations and their destiny. Uh, Twenty-five, twenty-three. And the Lord said to her, "'Two nations are in your womb.'" Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. That would be Esau or the Edomites, and the older shall serve the younger, the younger being Jacob. Uh, He goes on to say. in Malachi, verses one, uh, ch- chapter one, verses two and three, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord. Yet Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, and laid waste to the mountains and his heritage and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Uh, a lot of people like to say that where he says here, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Well, God's love for Esau looked like hate compared to God's love for Jacob. Notice his response as to his hatred of Esau. He has laid waste his mountains. The book of Obadiah, one chapter, the whole thing is judgment on Esau or Edom, the Edomites. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the... Oh, sorry, missed that one. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Obadiah 1.10. Now, just in case you're wondering if God meant it, guess who the last Idumean or Edomite was? Herod. Herod. Herod was the last Edomite. After him, now, wait a minute. Herod had a bunch of kids. Yeah, he killed them all, (laughs) okay? Uh, Edom as a nation doesn't exist anymore. So when God said, Jacob, have I loved, even though I've had to chastise him, run him out of uh, his nation into captivity, uh, destroy him as a nation, bring him back as a nation, even though I've had to do all that, Edom have I hated, Esau have I hated, And I've laid waste to his mountains, and he's going to be cut off forever. So I think it means that he hated Esau. Um, But notice, when did he say that? When they're still in her womb, neither having done good or bad, but God foreknows. He foreknew us. Before the foundations of the world, he chose us. Okay, He knew what Esau was going to be like, and it's kind of like, yeah, th- this guy is not going to be part of my uh plan. Letter D, New Testament believers participate in the new covenant, but that covenant is with Israel and Judah. Again, Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. If this had just said, as I said earlier, the house of Israel... Then the uh, replacement guys, okay, you know, maybe, but since you're talking about two different houses, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, yeah, that, that, that has no application to throw on the church, okay? Uh, notice Jesus' death and resurrection makes uh, believers participants in the new covenant, Hebrews seven twenty two, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Hebrews eight six, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. What was wrong with the old covenant? Couldn't they couldn't keep it. Even if they tried. I mean, Paul went so far as to describe himself as, according to the law, blameless. Externally, he was able to follow all the rules. But then we see what happened in Romans 7. Internally, when faced with the thou shalt nots," he realized, I'm blowing it all over the place. Okay, so they couldn't keep it. They broke it. This one has better promises because, as I've already read it a couple of times, what do you have to do in the New Covenant? Yeah, you have to believe, but what happens? God gives you a new heart, takes out the heart of, a heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh, gives you a new spirit, puts his spirit within you, writes his laws on your heart. He, he's doing everything. He's doing everything. That's why it's better promises. Because if it was left up to us, we'd blow it. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 9.15, And for this for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And then Hebrews 12.24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The whole point being, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he makes believers participant in, uh, participants in this new covenant. And then notice uh, Abraham's descendants extended to believers of this age in Romans four twelve and 16. For the father of the circumcision... To those who are not only of the circumcision, but also, uh, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. The um, whole point of that uh, passage there is Abraham believes God when he's not circumcised. Then later on, he receives the sign of the covenant where circumcision is that sign. The reason why circumcision is important for the Jews is because this is the sign of the covenant I'm making with you. But he believed when he wasn't circumcised, which opens it up to Gentiles that may or may not be. That's not the issue. The issue is it's the faith. It's not uh, some outward sign of that covenant. And then Romans 4.16, Therefore... It is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only those who are of the law, Jewish people, but also uh, to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Um, What Romans and Ephesians teach, it is by faith, both Jewish and Gentiles, Uh, enter into this new covenant where we become the church. The church is an assembly of called out ones. Some of them may be Jewish. The majority of them, at least in this area, are going to be Gentile. That's okay. God has broken down that middle wall of partition, so we have the same access by grace through faith to him as a Jewish person should have been able to have but couldn't even under the old covenant. Because what did they do? They came to the tabernacle. And there's this big curtain that goes all the way around the courtyard. And they stand at the gate. They lay their hands on that uh, uh, sheep's head. And the uh, priest cuts its throat, drains its blood, brings it inside where the sacrifice is made. The blood is uh, uh, spread on the uh, mercy seat and things like that. People did not have access to God, even in the Old Covenant. But now a much better covenant, a new covenant, and it was made with the house of Israel and Judah in mind, we get to be participants. And just because they're not in a place of faith right now doesn't mean that God somehow messed up. It means by grace, he's opened the door that we might enter in. And then ultimately, he's going back and dealing with the ones that he chose to love. You think about that for a minute. It's so easy to look at Israel and say, why? Those people have messed up so bad. Uh, Son-in-law, new believer, and I asked him what he's reading in the Bible, and uh, he, he, well, you know, I really don't like to read. And it's kind of like, you got a phone? He goes, yeah. I go, download this app. Now, start listening to it while you're on the road. He drives 40 minutes to work. And he did. He did. And then next time I see him, he goes, boy, those Jewish people, they're just really slow on the uptake. And I go, we are just like them. <laughs> uh, the the one big difference is we're saved. We have the Spirit of God within us. We have the completed canon, and they didn't. I mean, we want to pick on them for being a little slow. We got it all, and we're a little slow. So uh, praise God. Uh, Just because they didn't believe doesn't mean that God isn't going to do what he said he was going to do. But in the meantime, we get to participate in it. Any questions or thoughts? Uh, Yes, sir. My uh, brother uh, is practicing Judaism. He's a Messianic Jew. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, where, where the real problem comes in, I, I mean, that's unfortunate for him uh, because, of course, the desire to maybe be able to go over there and help other people understand the truth about their Messiah. But in today's day and age, you've got an awful lot of churches that are trying to push the whole concept of us going back and living under the law. It's kind of like, you know, we've got the book of Acts. We have the book of Galatians. We have the book of James. If you mess up in one thing, you're guilty of it all. Paul in Galatians says, look, if you do this, you have fallen from grace. Grace is a higher perch. It's a better place to be. So, yes, there is something special about Messianic Jews. It's neat to see that God is saving some of them. They are part of the church. Ultimately, God's going to save the nation, or at least a third of them. Yes. to my brother, and the only where we differ a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and finding that balance for them because they have uh, what three thousand years of Torah. Finding that balance for a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I think, is hard. It's, just, it's like Catholics getting saved out of the Catholic Church. They're taught a certain thing for so long that if they get saved and get out of the Catholic Church, they have a hard time, what does God's Word say? There's a mediator between me and God, and it's not the priest or the pastor. Uh, they get hung up on a lot of that stuff. Mariology uh, is a real problem for a lot of Catholics that come out of Catholicism get saved. Uh, but most Catholics, when you tell the truth from here, about Catholicism, not Catholic people, Catholicism, they'll sit there and say, that's right, preach it, where all the evangelical Christians that weren't Catholics at any time, they all go, you really should be careful that you don't offend anybody. So I, I'm, I'm not offending. I'm telling truth. Truth at times offends, but you're going to have to talk to God about that. Okay, yes? Oh, Yeah. It's kind of like listening to Paul, because Paul, boy, he knew the law. He had studied it, and then, of course, spent three years in the desert talking to Jesus, and Jesus kind of put two and two together for him, kind of like, dude! You know, I don't think he said dude, but... Exactly. Exactly. Okay, well, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Wednesday night, the last chapter of Live Not By Lies. Uh, Bring food, eat food, you know, that kind of thing. And then we have a couple of special weeks with Jeff, which he'll let us know about as we go along. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful love and care for us. Uh, It is so awesome to know, Lord, that even though at this time Israel is not believing, that ultimately you are going to fulfill all of your promises to them. We thank you, Lord, that we get to participate in some of those promises even now with this new life that's in us. We get to be uh, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We get to rule with him one day, and we look forward to his return. In the meantime, give us grace to be understanding and living out your word for your honor and glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Have a good God-honoring week. We'll see you later.